0: Welcome to Never Just a Dog, I'm your host John Littlefair and in this episode I sit down with the very incredible Sarah McLeod as she shares the beautiful and heartfelt story of her dog called Chachi. Did she come into your life in 2005?
1: Yes, I think that's about right, yeah, 2005, yeah, because I've got a mug with her sitting on Santa's lap, it says 2006, Merry Christmas and I'm pretty sure she was one. So that makes sense.
0: <laughs> Did you take it to to like a shopping center to get on sit on Santa's knee? Uh,
1: I took it to the vet, and I had it. I had a um, Santa in the vet, and all the dogs were jumping all over him. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> and What a charge you uh, wish for for Christmas! Just not more dog bones or treats or pats. I'm sure she'd get plenty of pats, but you can always do her more.
1: Um, yeah, she never really cared so much for food. She just wanted love. So she would just, you know, her wish would probably be just spend more time with me.
0: How did she get a name? Um,
1: Well, I initially wanted to have a dog called Fonzie. And then I thought, um, wait a minute, you know. And actually, so I sort of had these three names. They're all from Happy Days. It was Fonzie, there was Charchi, who's Fonzie's cousin, and there was Spike, who is Charchi and Fonzie's really young cousin, um, who only ever comes in every now and then. I don't know if you remember Spike, but Spike was like, he would be maybe – Uh, I don't know, 11 or something in the show. And he had like a leather jacket. He's like, hey. And he'd sort of like look up to Chachi, who was like an adult to him. And then Chachi was the older one. And then Fonz was the king, you know. So it was like this sort of um, three generations of leather-clad hoodlums with black slick hair that were like, um, you know, little grease monkeys. And I loved them. So um, I had a – before I had a dog, I wanted a dog for so long. Uh, And I had a battery-operated cow and I, used to, and I called the cow spike and I used to like you know, have it walking around my house. <laughs> and um, and I felt, okay, I need to get a dog that looks like this cow. So that was sort of my first thing. Um, and then I bought a, a little leather jacket who was – and then I thought I'll, I'll find a dog who looks like this cow, fits this leather jacket, and then that'll be my dog. So um, I was driving out to the pound one day looking for – trying to find very specific, trying to find a dog that looks like the cow that's going to fit the leather jacket. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, st- I stopped at a pet store on the way to pick up like a bowl and a leash and, you know, whatever supplies I may need for this, um you know, impending um, adoption that I, you know, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and when I went into the pet store, they had a little um, cage in there, well pen or whatever with uh, about 10 little black dogs. And and I was like, oh, it's cute. And, and I went and had a look and they were all jumping all over me and actually annoying me. And I was like, okay, these dogs are cute, but they're painful, um, and, which all puppies are, but I just had, I had no idea at this point. And there was one puppy that escaped from the pack and ran out of the pen and um, went under the Coke machine and hid from me and all the other puppies. And I was like, oh, that's cute. I like that one. And, and I went over there and I dragged her out from underneath the Coke machine and I lifted her up in the air and we looked at each other in the eye. And Take On Me by Aha came on the radio. And I was like, I don't care that you don't look like the the cow and you're way too big for this jacket, even though you're tiny. I don't think, don't think any dog was going to fit that jacket, so I don't know what I'm thinking. And um, and you look like a Chachi. You're the one in the middle and I'm taking you. And that was the end of it.
0: And even the Aha song for Take On Me just dropped in there and that was destiny, yeah. destiny from there.
1: Absolutely. I take me home. Yeah, and every time I hear that now, I... I get a bit teary, you know. But that was our song.
0: Oh wow! So you took Chachi home, and that was it. Did you do like the raid of all the, the pet stores to get all types of toys and everything? Was she like sport with toys and set? Did you set her yeah. up a big crib, or was it straight straight to the bed? You're in bed with me.
1: Um, no, no. I had uh, so I had, first I had built her a kennel before I got her because I was sort of into building things around the house. So I built, uh, I built a kennel out of like old knickknack bits of. Crap that I found out on the street, and I was like, Yeah, this is cool. You know, I'm gonna get a dog and it's gonna go in this kennel. And then I kept thinking, When would I get the dog? And I'm like, Oh, one day I didn't have a car at this point, and one day I had to hire a van to pick up some like a PA or something for a gig I was doing. And I thought, What's all the cool things I can do while I've got this van? And I was like, Well, I could go and rummage some more shit from the side of the road to build more crap in my backyard because I was really into that, um, or I could probably go out and get a dog. So that's why I went out to get a while I had this van. So I thought, Well, I've got the van and the dog. Then I went to pet store, grabbed her a um, whole bunch of toys and started with the first toy, which was called Rocky. Uh, and Rocky was like a little raccoon. And over the years, she destroyed Rocky. So then we got Rocky 2 and she destroyed Rocky 2 and then Rocky 3, Rocky 4, just <laughs> kept getting the same thing.
0: Like the passwords um, on your like internet and everything where you just add a different yeah. an extra digit and then you get to zero and then you're stuffed and then you've got to come up with a, a capital in there yeah. or something.
1: And then Rocky one two three underscore exclamation mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I built this kennel for her, and, um, and she didn't like it. So I tried to put it in there. And she was like, "No, I don't like it." I was like, "Okay, no worries. Maybe it's too small." So I built her a second kennel, um, and this one was quite elaborate. And I painted it all these Hawaiian colors, and I put a Hawaiian leaf at the front of it, sort of like she had to, you know, push it to the side to get in. And I put all, like weird buddhas and candles and shit in there. On the first night, I laid down in it trying to get her to go, hey, come on, this is your bed, like, you know, hop in here. And she sort of stuck her head in there and she left me in there. And I thought, I'll just stay in there for as long as I can to, you know, show her that it's fun in here. And (laughs) I slept in there all night. And then I woke up in the morning, she was in my bed and I was out in the kennel. (laughs) And then, and I was like, okay, that didn't work. And then the next night I tried to put her out. And when I shut the door, she was just at the door crying. And, you know, I didn't really know what to do with the dog at this point. And I was like, this is awful. What? Why, do you, why, why am I even putting you outside? What do I care? you can you can come inside I, I was just I just figured dogs' kennels that's what you do, and then i um I chopped up the kennel and I used it for firewood, and I brought her in and she slept with me, and we never looked back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just want to be warm and comfortable, you know but I, I thought I've got so much to learn, I'll never know, I'll never understand, but you know there's really not that much to understand. You just start listening to them, start hanging out with them and watching them, and then you you learn pretty quickly.
0: And then they become your shadow and then and that's it. They're just part of you.
1: Yeah, totally. And I was so trepidatious about getting a dog. I and mean, then it was the best thing I ever did. Changed my life. And now I'm like, you know, don't have a dog anymore because she died. And I feel really, I feel really strange having a life without a dog. And I'm too scared to commit to another one. Just, yeah, I just, I always feel like, oh, not yet, not yet, not yet. And I wonder if I ever will. I'd like to. Some Seems a big commitment.
0: Touring and doing gigs or just from losing, pain of losing a dog could be too much to bear for you?
1: Um, no, 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 because I know that the love I get from the dog outweighs the pain at the end and I feel quite spiritual about the way she passed. So I feel like I could probably cope with it again, you know, should it happen? Because I, I know, you know, like I've sort of designed this place in my heart where I feel like she's gone and it's, you know, it's lovely. So I look at it as a really beautiful thing. So I think I could cope with that. But yeah, I think it's more just like, um, I finally have this immense freedom now. Not that I can go anywhere, though, which is rather interesting. I could I could pack up tomorrow and go and live in New York for six months, but I, but I can't. But I you know. <laughs> oh, I
0: know. <laughs> going on to Chachi, did Chachi go on tour with you?
1: Yep. She used to go on tour with me all the time. Um, sometimes she would just do select shows. Sometimes she would come the full tour. Sometimes she'd go by plane. Sometimes we would drive. Um, I never, never got her overseas. I was going to take her over to America and – um had her in training for that, like, you know, getting – practicing with flights that were longer and longer and longer each time. I think the longest – I think I took her to Cairns once was the furthest away that we got, and we were, we were practicing to go to New York, but I never ended up taking her there. But uh, she would wear these little um, muff headphones and just come to all the gigs. She'd either sit on the stage or she would sit in the banner and, or just to the side and just wait. But if she was, um, if she could see me and she's sitting on the side – she would have, she'd have to have someone there like sort of holding her because otherwise she would want to come out. She always wants to come out on stage. She sometimes (laughs) would like just get away from whoever's holding her and just come out. People used to go sick when they would see her. Sometimes I would like release her to the audience before I would go out so that she could say hello to everybody and then I would come on stage. But it depended on um, the pubs and clubs and their rules because sometimes I didn't like dogs in her so I had to hide her, you know. But she was always there whether she was hidden or not.
0: That's brilliant. So was she involved in soundcheck? She could have had her own like a um, warm-up gig for you guys.
1: Uh, yeah, she was come to soundcheck. And she it was funny, like I used to smuggle her into hotels as well. And there was a couple of times where I was in quite fancy hotels and I would put her in a giant duffel bag. And I remember <laughs> I remember being in an elevator and going up to like the 23rd floor or something and the elevator's crowded and I'm standing there and everyone's just silent. And I've got my dog in a duffel bag and um, the – Everyone's got their head on the ground, not like looking at their feet, trying not to acknowledge each other. Cause it's an awkward elevator. And Chachi moved her head. And I saw a lady, like, sort of look, you know, confused. And I just was deadpan. I didn't say anything. And the lady looked away, and everyone just got out. And I was like, nothing to see here. Yeah. You know? And then as soon as I'd take her <laughs> into the room, and I'd unzip the bag, and she'd leap out, and she'd be like, yeah, we did it. God, that's yeah.
0: that's amazing. In the in the duffel bag as well. Like, be still, Chachi. Be still, be still, be still. Don't bark yeah, I or I think whippen. she
1: knew. Yeah, she knew. She would go dead still. So either that or she's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure she sort of knew what was going on and she would just go dead still and then then I'd unzip it and she would just be stowed.
0: Did you ever get sprung? Did any, like, room service or or any of the cleaners or whatever come in and go, hey, you got a dog in here? Or did you um, just hide her away when anyone knocked on the door?
1: In all of the 15 years that I had her and toured with her pretty much consistently, we never, ever got caught. We had a few near misses, where we were like, "Quit throwing the car! You know, someone's coming. You know, don't worry. Just like, throw twenty bucks out the window and keep driving." You know, like, <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of near misses, but I never got caught. I had to, I had to sort of train her pretty hardcore to, you know, to sit in hotel rooms and be quiet and let let me know when she needed to go to the toilet and yep. stuff like that. Couldn't have her barking or anything. A couple of times she barked in some nice hotel rooms, and I'm like, "You're gonna get us going, What are you doing?" And she's like, "Sorry,
0: sorry, Mom." I was watching bag. So you go out for half an hour, and you come back, and she's racked up the account like um, with the um, pay movies, like Lassie mini come bar. home, and yeah, the mini bars raided. <laughs> There's uh, fifteen yeah. bags of dog food. Not that she was motivated by food, you're saying, but it's still there. Just someone pushing it up on a trolley, going, <laughs> yeah. "Okay." She's um, splashing around in the bath. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and the hotel staff going, "Man, this singer, this uh, musician's weird. <laughs> she's ordering food, and you know, barking, yeah. and what? What's going on?"
1: She's barking, yeah, totally. Yeah, Church and I used to have baths together all the time. It was pretty cute. I put my just... bathers on and just sit in the bath with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to do it a lot because you know it's easier to wash her as well. And I don't care if I get dirty. I always wash myself once she's done. So I would get you'd get right in there, get all filthy, make sure she's look clean, then I would dry her, and then I'd have a shower and clean it all up, and away well, we go. And because um, I once took her to a doggy clairvoyant who um, said that she could receive pictures of what Church was thinking. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if I believed it or not, but I was like, this is interesting. And one of the things that she said was that Chachi loved bath time because it was the only time where I was away from my mobile phone and I could really focus on her. And I thought, oh, God, that terrible parenting. Like, I felt really bad after that. Um, and then I did notice it's probably the only time that I didn't have my phone on me was when her and I were in the bath. So then I started bathing her heaps.
0: <laughs> you and her, Tom?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Not distracted by the rest of the world or any other intruders.
0: I was reading a bit on the parlour gigs and you'd take Chachi with you. What are parlour gigs?
1: They're gigs in people's houses. So I would just rock up to someone's house and I'm like, oh, I'm here, here's my dog. Do you mind, you know, I always call ahead and bring in the dog. And um, and then, you know, my dog and their dog would hang out and I'd sit and sing a set for all their friends in their backyard and then I'd go home. So it was, it was fun. I, was, I did, when I lived in Melbourne, I did quite a lot of them. I don't do them so much these days, but. I did them for about um, a good year there, and um, it, was, it, was, it was a good thing to do. It was a good way of sort of getting more personal with people, meeting a lot of people, nice to be able to get into people's homes. And, you know, those people, you always remember them. They come to gigs years later, and i remember you came to my house? And they go, oh, that's right. Yes, I've been in your house. You fed me, you know, my, I've met your family. I kissed your baby. It's, it's cute. Yeah, I just did a lot of them when I was in Melbourne.
0: What did Christmas Day look like with you and Chachi, a, uh, a, typic- yeah. a typical Christmas day?
1: Okay, so um, this Christmas just gone was my first one without her, and it felt so quiet. I missed her so much because everything was always revolved around Charge and she was the greatest at ripping apart presents. It didn't matter what the actual present was. It was just the way she would open the presents was amazing. So um, like my whole family would give her presents, and each place we would go to, it'd be like, "Hey, okay, let's get Chachi to open the presents and everyone would stand around and give them to her one by one. And she, she would get really in there and she'd rip, like, she'd rip it all up and find the thing inside and they'd be like, yay, and everyone would cheer her. and then she'd go on to the next present. And, like my mum used to wrap shit that she'd given her the year before because it wasn't about what's in there. It was just about unwrapping something because she was really good at unwrapping the presents. And so that sort of, you know, it's like having children and then not having children, you know, sort of like no life in Christmas. So I really missed her this year.
0: I could imagine.
1: Oh, yeah, that's the other thing on Christmas because we would always go to mum's beach house and it was just all about everyone throwing the frisbee to charge and how great she was at catching it in the pool. And She would just go all day, just like these specky dives in the air to catch the frisbee. And so that was kind of like our focus, you know. We would play with charge all day. And then suddenly we didn't have charge, so we'd just sit and look at each other and get drunk. So how are you enjoying your life now, (laughs) mum? Yeah, yeah, sort of miss it.
0: What happened with Chachi at the end, Sarah? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Um, uh, she was 15, so things just gradually started to break down, and it was like a pancreas problem, and then it was a liver problem, and then it was a liver in the pancreas, and um, it was uh, blood issues, and you know, it just in the end, it was like, look, should we 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 have to put her down. She's just she's not going to really come back from this. So, uh, luckily, I lived in a beautiful part of Woodend in Victoria, and my next door neighbour was her vet. And she was a beautiful, beautiful woman and I was so comforted by her. So she came over and we would put all these candles on and I sat, I sat with charge before it happened. And I had this really in depth discussion with her about the afterlife and what to expect and when I would see her again. And that was really sweet. And, um, and then the vet came over and we played some beautiful soft music and I just had her in my arms and she did the thing and said goodnight to her. And then, Um, And then when she was gone, I opened a bowl of champagne and I toasted to her new journey because I wanted to look at it not as a sad thing, not as a loss, but as a celebration of her next step and that we all had to be brave because her next step's going to be the best one yet and that living with me was just an audition. Now she's really going to shine. So um, I wanted to celebrate where she was going and be strong and be proud for her. I I feel like there's nothing more intimate in a connection than death. I I realized that in that moment that like I was close to her, but I was closer to her in death than I was in real life. And that is the most intimate thing someone can to die in your arms. Like it's so, it's so intimate and beautiful in a heartbreaking way. It it, it makes you, I I feel like it made me a lot more spiritual Uh, before that. I was like, whatever, you know? And then I felt like I understood more about life and death and love and connection and, um it 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 made me just feel a bit deeper I think and you know also I had um I I, like I I read all this stuff about when when a loved one dies and they go to the rainbow bridge and they wait there for you and then when you die you go there and they meet you and then you cross the bridge together so after that um like I was sort of explaining that story to her you know when I would meet her again and how great it was going to be and how um it was also because a friend of mine had been in – I think this is why I was actually so spiritual about it. A friend of mine had been in a car accident where he died and then he came back to life. And he had told me about what had happened when he was in this um, – he calls it the forest. He was in this, like, forest, which is the afterlife. But he was only there sh- for a short amount of time. And how he didn't have a body, but he was like this spark and he could move, like, across the room super quick, like, in the, the, like there was no time. And you didn't need your body and, and you're just full of euphoria and elation and, um, and the colours and the trees singing at you and you know, all this stuff. So I was explaining it to Chachi because I was like, you know, you don't need this old, sick body anymore. Like you're hurting. You can't even hardly walk. Like, in, you know, shortly like by tonight, you're not even going to need it and you're going to feel beautiful. And you, you, you're you not even going to need these legs. You're just going to be bouncing around. You'll, you'll feel like a young puppy again. And and there is no time, like you might miss me, but time's going to go like in the blink of an eye, like a hundred years could be boom and you wouldn't even know how long it's been. So you have to go to this place and wait for me, but it won't seem like you're waiting very long at all because there is no time. You know, I'm the one that's going to have to wait and I can deal with that. I can deal with my own pain as long as I know you're cool. And that sort of, you know, really helped me. And then, um, and then after she passed, I wanted all that information in a song about where to where to meet me because I wanted her I wanted her to know, I wanted it to be able to get to her in the afterlife. and I thought I could tell her, but I don't think she's going to be able to hear me once she's gone. And I thought if I put it in music, I think music, the vibrations of music can transcend through dimensions more than spoken word. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like my best shot at connecting with someone on the other side is to put it to music because music, I think with the vibrations can sort of kind of, you know, breach the gap a little, um, I think. So then I wrote her this song with all these specific instructions about where to meet me in the afterlife and how we're going to be together again. And I called it Chachi's Theme. And it, I feel like that really helped me heal. It was fast-tracked my grieving for sure because I grieved like nonstop. I wrote, it took me two weeks to write it. I did it like the day after she passed, I started it. And the next two weeks I just sat in my studio just bawling my eyes out. I'd snot all over my piano and all over my pants and just like moaning like an animal until I'd finished the song. And then I felt um i felt like i had sort of purged and that we had connected and i had i had a, I had a way of finding her again like leaving a trail of popcorn and you had to get her had to, to get back to her and how for her to get back to me and it was through the instructions of the song of where we would meet and now we knew and then we could just go okay now we've got to carry on our lives but we know what to do so this is not the end and that helped so much yeah it was so raw too and you know her whole life i've always wanted to write a song for her and I never could because I'm, I'm never very good about writing about the happy things. And so I, I hadn't written one for her. And, and I think even to date, prior to that, most of my songs were quite linear and shallow. And then suddenly my heart got cracked right open. And then I was there writing. And like I was like, wow, I didn't even know that I could write like this, like from this place. I didn't even know I had this place. So I learnt a lot.
0: How long after um, you wrote it did you release it?
1: I pretty much straight away. Did you? It was all very – yeah, yeah. I thought – and I was like, I probably should, you know, record this better and, you know, wait and put it on my album. But I was like, I just need it to be out now. I want it to be out now. I want I want people to hear it. I want to talk about it in this moment because it's healing for me. You know, I don't want to put it out a year later when it's like, here's last year's news. I want, it, I want it out now. I want it to heal me. I want it to heal others. I want to sing it every night at my shows so that she can hear me. I want to – talk about the story on stage while I'm still super in it. And like, and who cares if I cry halfway through the song, which happened to me a lot. I just wanted to do it while it was raw. And then I thought, you know, I may re-record it again for my record later on down the track, but I needed to, I needed to be honest in that moment and have it, have it, I felt like it deserved that, you know, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how well I could produce it or how well I could perform it or sing it. It wasn't about that. It was about, it was about us. And it was also about healing other people too. So I just wanted to do it while it was strike while the iron's hot, so to speak.
0: It must have been such a tough time for you, Sarah. What did you turn to anything, or
1: yeah? I um okay, so first I released the song, uh, donated all of the um, profits to RSPCA, so I felt like you know I was sort of helping in some way. Um, and then I couldn't live where I was living anymore because it was all a bit too painful because everywhere I looked, I was thinking about things that her and I used to do, so I packed up the house and I broke up with my girlfriend and I left. Uh, Melbourne and I um, escaped to Brisbane and I bought an apartment up here and started renovating it. So I spent all of my brain um, in home renovations and that, cause I really enjoy that. So that took up, that gave me a project that gave me a fun new life, fun in the sunshine. I felt like, you know, I took Chachi here with me. I bought her up in a little box <laughs> and, um, you know, and I would ask her like, what should we do here? Should I paint this, you know, black? Yeah, cool. And, um, So I really focused on that and that eased the pain a bit. But I must say when the renovation came to an end recently and I was like, what do I do now? Um, Then I went and bought another apartment that I'm now renovating and I think I just – I don't know how to settle now. So I'll probably just keep um, moving and renovating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, renovation done, right, on the market, next, next, next.
1: Yeah. Keep moving, keep renovating.
0: Do you have a van? Do you have like a full-time van now so you can go and pick up stuff from the um, hardware shop or whatever for renovating or you just –
1: Yeah, I I got a Mitsubishi Outlander. It's pretty big. It does the job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John.
0: Sarah, hey, this has been fantastic. You you look after yourself and uh, we'll catch up when you come to Perth.